Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's it. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours, baby. It's, uh, it's this guy. Done. Cracked it. We sorted it. That's closed. Case closed. Tire yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. Good evening and welcome to Weird Tales and Explainable. I'm going to start that again because some people might not be listening in the evening. Good evening. Hello and welcome to Weird Tales and the Unexplainable. Hope that you're well and uh, thank you for joining us. My name is Beef and I'll be hosting this episode. Uh, I've got my two best friends, my two colleagues alongside me as usual. Bob Shoy, say hello. Hello. And Tissy Baby, give us a hello. What's that? When Beef starts his really long-winded intro, is this like, <laughs> when he starts, I'm like, right, I'm just going to go and put the kettle on. <laughs> by, by the time my tea's brewed, I'll be ready to say hello. I'm, um, <laughs> mate, it's a, it's a trademark. I'm, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I've decided I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I like it. Um, shall I just dive straight into this then? Yeah, go on. So... I'm not going to tell you the title. I'm just going to dive straight into this. I'm just going to read you a little story. Um, Man of mystery here. Which is going to set the scene, um, and then we'll we'll go into it from there. Okay. Okay. Are you, are you guys comfortable? I'm comfy. Uh, we just, yeah, I'm comfy. Go for it, mate. And then I shall begin. January 15th, 1947 was a cold, dreary morning for Los Angeles. Bessie Bursinger, a local housewife, left her home in Norton Avenue in the Learmert Park section of the city. She was headed for a shoe repair shop and took her three-year-old daughter with her. As the two of them walked up the street and approached the corner of Norton and 39th, they passed many vacant lots bordering the sidewalks. When World War II struck, development had slowed in the City of Angels. Because the war had ended only a year and a half prior, construction was slow to start up once again. This left the lots looking abandoned and eerie, which already put Betty on edge that morning. While Betty walked along the sidewalk, she noticed something white among the weeds. She did not think much of it at first, as many people would throw trash into the vacant lots. As she glanced at the object, she initially thought someone had thrown away a store mannequin. It seemed like an odd object to throw away, and it was even stranger than the mannequin had been separated into halves. Betty continued to walk forward, yet something drew her attention back to the mannequin. 
Upon closer inspection, she realised that the mannequin was not a mannequin at all. It was actually a woman who had been severed in half. Betty gave a panicked scream and led her daughter away from the gruesome sight. She quickly rushed to a nearby house to call the police. Officers Frank Perkins and Will Fitzgerald arrived to the scene within minutes. When they noticed the naked body of a woman who had been cut in half, they were able to confirm Betty Persinger's story and immediately called for backup. The Los Angeles Police Department noted that the woman's body seemed to have been posed. The woman was lying on her back with her arms raised over her shoulders and her legs were spread in a twisted display of seductiveness. There were cuts and abrasions across her body and her mouth had been sliced to extend her smile from ear to ear. Investigators believed she had been tied down and tortured for several days due to the rope marks on her wrists, ankles and neck. Her naked body had been cleaned, sliced in half, just above her waist. There was no blood present on the woman's body and there was none on the grass beneath her either. Investigators determined that she must have been killed elsewhere, cleaned of blood and then dumped in the vacant lot overnight. In support of LA Police, the FBI ran record checks on potential suspects and conducted interviews across the nation. Based on early suspicions that the murderer may have had skills in dissection because the body was so cleanly cut, agents were also asked to check out a group of students at the University of Southern California Medical School. And in a tantalising potential break in the case, the Bureau searched for a match to fingerprints found on an anonymous letter that may have been sent to the authorities by the killer, but the prints weren't in the FBI files. Who killed the Black Dahlia and why? It's a mystery. The murderer has never been found, and given how much time has passed, probably never will be. The legend grows. It's the Black Dahlia murder, then? The Black... The, yeah, she was nicknamed the Black Dahlia, yeah. Mm. I've heard of the murder. Which is what we're going to talk about tonight. So have you guys heard of the Black Dahlia? Yes. Just now. Is, until just now. Uh, Bobby, tell me what you know about the Black Dahlia. Oh, not a lot. Okay. Pretty much um, the name and the fact that it's an infamous case and some of the uh, information that you just gave. Mm. And that's kind of it. Okay. Not something I've ever delved into. Okay. And Tiss, this is not something you're familiar with, no? No, I've heard the name. I think it's the name of a band or a song as well. They are a band, yeah. They're a band. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, I think they're a... Uh, could be wrong. And I'm sure I'll be picked apart for getting it wrong. But I'm pretty sure they're like a Canadian band. Um, right. Or North North American. Um, but, um, yeah, so this has kind of been on my mind for a while now. Um, and a, f- a few months ago, I was replaying L.A. Noir. I was going to say, that's where the other place I recognise it from, because yeah. it's mentioned in L.A. Noir. Yeah, quite a lot of their homicide cases in the game are based on, on this. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I'm pretty sure that they're not they're not that far off. Like They're not too fictitious. I think No, actually, I don't think they... I think they would have... They did so much research for that video game, I think they would have stuck to as many facts as they could. Yeah. And I do remember some of some of the bodies in the game like reflecting the kind of stuff we've just read. Mm-hmm. That's mad. Um, yeah, so I thought we'd just look into the Black Dahlia um, and just talk uh, a little bit about who she was, um, talk a little bit about the circumstances around her death and why it was 
um, you know, why it's so strange. And then we're going to look at why, um, you know, why is this still unsolved? Look at some of the suspects um, and just some of the strange things around it. Um, so Black Dahlia was a nickname for a young actress called Elizabeth Short. Um, she was born in Massachusetts and she had four other siblings, four girl siblings. Um, but she kind of grew up in a bit of a broken home. So her, I think her dad um, left her mum when she was quite young and um, kind of did treat her mum too well. And I think a couple of times tried to get back into the family, but her mum wouldn't let her and, and, and wouldn't let him and, and just... Um, wasn't you know, having was, any of it. Wasn't having any of it. Yeah, she was pretty firm. She wanted to protect her girls and give them a, a better quality of life. And she was pretty sure she could do that without him. So because of this, um, Elizabeth Short grew up to be quite mature. She matured quite quickly. Um, and I think, it, I think it was quite a traumatic. I think it was... Uh, yeah, I think her father was quite abusive, and some reports that I've read at least state state that they state that he was verbally abusive and quite aggressive. And um, so she grew up in an unstable home, and um, just kind of used that to strengthen herself. And so some of the reports that I've seen, at least from her neighbours that knew, knew the family quite well, um, describe her to be. Um, really lively, a really pretty young girl, um, and really, really gregarious. So really friendly, really, um, outgoing. Um, but she really enjoyed movies. She really enjoyed watching movies and getting stuck into film. That was her way of escaping the reality that she found herself in. And this, uh, sorry, the, the actual case itself. Yeah. The murder case. You said that was, um, unsolved. Uh, yes. So it's still unsolved to this it's, day? It's still unsolved to this day. Okay, just want that in my mind. Yeah, it's still unsolved to this day. The um, How long ago was it? 1947, so what's that, Six, 60, no, wait a minute. 70. Yeah, 70 years ago. So, yeah, oh, yeah 70 over 70 plus. years ago. So the killer could still be alive? Uh, potentially, one of the suspects... Well. One of the main suspects um, died in 99. Uh, right. So, yeah, chances are it's never going to be solved because I'd have thought by now the killer would be dead. Yeah, and... Where's, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll come on to that a little bit um, later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'll just kind of keep describing her and, and yeah, yeah. her background. So I managed to find a couple of statements taken from her neighbours, which I thought were quite interesting. One guy, Bob Passios, who was a neighbour, said she was someone you liked to watch, which I thought sounded a bit creepy. Mm. <laughs> um, what? Someone you like to stare at and plan to murder. Yeah, but exactly. back in those days, that was just something you would say, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something to watch. We just like to watch her, and then he says, "The kind of girl boys might sneak looks at, but would oh. get tongue tied if she spoke to you." So, 
bit creepy, but also I think that's pretty much just of the time in it, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. there's 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 worse things that people have said from that era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of bad stuff going on right then. I think when you had Hitler alive at the time, let's be honest, that's not, you know. Yeah, he said some bad things. He did say some pretty awful stuff. Um, and then Dorothy Hernan, another neighbour of hers, said that um, Bet, as in Elizabeth, Bet was mm-hmm. sweet, funny, not stuck up. She always stopped and chatted, made you feel at ease. She just looked so graceful, but eye-catching, something to look at. So <laughs> Everyone just wants to look at her. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, I have got a picture of her here. Um, you know, she, she is a pretty girl. But would you look at her? Would I look at her? Would I watch her with a, like a box of donuts in a hedge? Um, <laughs> That's an image. <laughs> <laughs> was, so, so was she, by the sounds of it. Oh. Sorry. Um, a visage. A visage. Right. Um, uh, okay, so she kind of grew up and, and um, when she was a young adult, she had she got back in touch with her dad who um, just kind of contacted her and said, look, um, I know you are interested in acting. You've mentioned it a few times and I know you love the pictures. So you need to come to Los Angeles. That That's where you're going to make your, your fame. That's where that's it's all happening. Yeah. If if you want to become an actress, it's pretty much the only place in America, really, where you it's can Hollywood, make a, baby. a good deal of it. So she was like, oh, um, okay. Um, I mean, I'm ad-libbing a little bit. It's pretty much <laughs> what she say, said. She was like, Ooh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um but she did. She did agree to it because she thought, "Well, yeah, fair enough. He's got a point there." Um, and did she started, say that as well? Yeah, yeah. This is all. This is all. Fair enough. He's got a point there. <laughs> it's all straight from her diary. Um, yeah, Dad was trying to get me to say. I was like, "Nah, mate." Famous um, quotes from history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, you twisting my finger, you little bugger? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so she yeah she knew she wanted to be a star and she needed to move to California. That was pretty much it. So she she moved over, uh, moved in with her dad. Um, but it didn't take too long for their relationship to just start to fray a little bit. They started to get frustrated with each other. He thought that she was lazy, and she was like, "Mate, I can be lazy, but you were a bit of a twat to my mum and uh, left us." when it mattered most so screw you so then her dad kicked Mm. her out in 1943 and she was kind of forced to look after herself um she got a job as a cashier and um just started to really um get noticed and um people would comment on her beauty so it was really big thing like people seem to always fixate on her beauty but because of this, it kind of left her emotionally vulnerable because that was pretty much all people saw on her. They didn't really see anything else. They just saw that she was pretty tasty. And um, <laughs> uh, does he? Do you feel like I know people say that nowadays we're like so obsessed with the way people look? But do you not feel like it was? It's, it sounds like it was worse back then. It sounds mm. like the only thing everyone ever said about this person is that. Is about yeah. the way she looked. Yeah, pretty much. I think it's a recurring thing, right? 
Yeah, I think so. I think we're. I think we've actually got better. I actually, I do as well. Like, I mean, listening to this and with all the research that I've done into this, everyone's just like, yeah, she was, she was really pretty. She was a looker. There's one. There is one report. I can't find it now. I just, I've just been trying to look for it. But there was one reporter that was just, just um, interviewing the the people that knew her. So they interviewed someone that worked in a restaurant that she worked in. Um, and he's like, yeah, she was, um, she was a very pretty young girl, very, very pretty. She had beautiful dark eyes, and um, he says something about her body. I wish I could find it, but basically, and then the interview is like, what was she like as a person? And he's like, I haven't really got to know her yet. And by that time, she'd been working with him for like a year. I was like, well, you should really know her after a year. So I think basically, but then you look at the cartoons at the time. It's all Tom and Jerry. And all, whenever Tom sees like a lady cat, he's always like, Fwah! yeah, <laughs> like eyes popping out. Um, like when Bugs Bunny puts on that dress, plays Girl Bunny. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, did they refer to her as Babelicious? Babelicious. Or Abraham Lincoln. Oh, no, I just think, is that Wade's world? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, anyway, so she... Um, Went through some relationships and um, then got herself into some modelling. So all of this actually started to propel her towards the career that she was looking for. Um, mm. uh, but it kind so of she's put like, it- only thing anyone ever says about me is about my looks. So I might as well cash in. Yeah, exactly. She's like, well, there must be some truth in that. Everyone can't be yeah. wrong. Um, and. Um, uh, yeah, she ended up dating a number of guys over over a couple of years. Okay, yeah, so she got herself into modelling, got herself into some relationships, and um, after after a time, I think it seems like, or, or from what I can gather from some of the re- reports and some of the articles I've read this afternoon and over the last few days, that she she just wanted to visit her mum like some of this was was getting on top of her the the pressure of having to um try and make it as an actress um and she started to get a couple of acting jobs and she'd started to um do do fairly well as a model but it started to get on top of her and um and also i think the the relationship with her dad and her dad being in the same town was all getting a bit stressful so um she hopped on a bus went back to see her mum and uh, she just said that the stress of finding a job as an actress was difficult. Um, and there were lots of strikes at the time, lots of actors' strikes, um, and writers were striking. So it was just a difficult process anyway. It's still difficult. It is still difficult, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then she ended up um, coming back to um, Los Angeles. And this is where we start to get towards... Um, her final days. Can I ask you a question? Talking of the acting business. Yes, go for it. Please do while I refresh this page again. I know this is what I'm doing. Um, If they were to make Weird Tales the movie. Yeah. Would you rather play yourself or have someone play you? It depends who's going to play me. You don't get to choose. That's up to the studio. Mm. You can sit in on the casting and sort of say, oh, I like him, but if the final say isn't yours. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. It depends how much money I was going to get from it. 
The money's the same either way. I I think I I think I'd rather someone else just play me. Hmm. What about you, Tess? Yeah, I don't really want to be in a movie. Yeah, me neither. But I like the idea of being in a movie if there's someone else playing both of you. So it's just me <laughs> and two guys <laughs> who I have to call Beef and Tess. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> or if it's just like one of us doesn't do it so it's like there's a fake tiss it's like when they get someone else to play Lisa when they do like the, the variety <laughs> show <laughs> yeah okay I think it's sorted itself out now so uh, she spent a bit of time with her mum just to kind of ground herself again and just take her mind off some of the stresses uh, and ended up meeting a woman called Dorothy French when she mm-hmm. came back and um, the Frenches actually took Elizabeth Short in. They took her in and, and kind of tried to surround her with support and a bit of love and just bring her back to her dream and realising her dream as an actress and just wanted to give her a bit of support and a bit of help, really. Uh, they felt sorry for her, they said, and they offered her a, a place to stay. Uh, and so she ended up staying there for about a month. And this is in 1946. So this is... At, uh, at this point, had she had any sort of notable acting work? Uh, nothing really notable. Just um, like popping up here and there? Yeah, a couple of like um, like advert, like, right, of like okay. adverts and um, I th- like a couple of small small roles in plays and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, like bit parts and stuff. Yeah, nothing really kicking off. Right. Um, but because of her There's modeling, another quote from her. Nothing's really kicking off. Nothing's really kicking <laughs> off. That's an, another beef direct quote from uh, Elizabeth Short. Um, yeah. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send you guys a bit of reading to do. Okay. Um, just so it's not my voice the whole time. Uh, so, Bob, I'm just going to send you a little bit first. Okay. If that's all right. Yeah, that's all right. And then Tiss... This, I'm going to send you the second part after that. Um, and this is just now documenting her final days. So she's still okay. with the French family, but we're, we're now getting towards the, the final days of her life. Okay, so Bobby, you should be getting something now. Da, 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 da. Oh, Luke is typing. Ding! Right, I've got it. There we go. Okay, so if you could read that for us just to kind of keep the story going, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. So Elizabeth did little housework for the French family and continued her late night partying and dating habits. One of the men she became enamored with was Robert Red Manley, a salesman from Los Angeles who had a pregnant wife at home, that cad. Mm. Um The two of them saw each other on and off for a few weeks and Elizabeth asked him for a ride back to Hollywood. Manley agreed and picked her up from the French household on January the 8th, 1947. He paid for her hotel room for that night and went to a party with her. When the two of them returned to the hotel, he slept on the bed and Elizabeth Elizabeth slept in a chair. (laughs) What, Jen? (laughs) Yeah. I, I love that. I can. I was thinking about this. I was like, "Well, how can you prove that?" I was thinking, "Well, I, no, no self-respecting man would make that up." That yeah. he, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had the better let her have the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Not even um, a sofa, a chair. Yeah, <laughs> just like sat upright. That's so, so horrible. Isn't literally it? impossible. I just imagine him just like spread out, like snoring. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of room in the like, her. Though. 
she's in like not even a not even an armchair, just like a fold up chair in the corner <laughs> that, that's got his clothes like thrown on before he's got into bed. Yeah, what a gentleman. Yeah, sounds like a proper gentleman. Classic red manly. Um, yeah. So she was enamoured with this absolute dirtbag. It shows that what the competition must have been like. Yeah, exactly. Um, pretty. She must have had low self-esteem. Uh, mm. Tiss, I'm sending you the follow-up. On a sadder, more serious note, she must have had low self-esteem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tiss, your bit should be with you now. Manly had an appointment in the morning of January 9th and returned to the hotel to pick Elizabeth up around noon. She told him that she was returning to Massachusetts, but the first needed to meet her married sister at the Biltmore Hotel in Hollywood. Manny drove her there, yet did not stick around. He had an appointment at 6.30pm and did not wait for Elizabeth's sister to arrive. When Mandy saw Elizabeth last, she was making phone calls in the hotel lobby. Manly and the hotel employees were the last people to see Elizabeth Shaw alive. As far as the Los Angeles Police Department could tell, only Elizabeth's killer saw her after January 9th, 1947. She was missing for six days from the Biltmore Hotel before her body was found in a vacant lot in the morning, January 15th, 1947. Oh, shit. So when I read that bit about the hotel room, I was thinking, this is a bit of just like a weird night for me to read about, but that's the last... Her last night where people actually knew her whereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. uh, which, which would make this, uh, manly prime suspect. Prime it? suspect. Yeah. Suspect number one. Um, so yeah, last, last person to see her alive and some of the employees. I feel like we're going to crack this case between us. <laughs> it was manly. <laughs> he did it. It was manly him. did it. <laughs> what? None of them even knew that all this time. Was staring him right in the face. They never considered manly. <laughs> it's because he's rich. Okay. Um, so what I'm going to do, uh, what I'm going to do now, before we move on to the suspects, um, so we're going to look at the suspects, but before we do, I just want to look at the timeline because I think it's really, when it comes to a murder like this, that's not solved. There's lots going on. There's lots of her moving around. Um, you know, she's at home, then she's in LA, then she goes back to uh, see her mum, and then she ends up with the the French family. She kind of gets like adopted by this family. Um, so there's lots going on, and mm-hmm. there's some moving parts. So just I'm gonna try and just set out the the timeline a little bit. Yeah, so we can crack this case. We need the facts laid out. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna, we're gonna get this done tonight. Um. <laughs> so, uh, July, um, no, I'm not going to go, that's her birth, I don't need to go that far back, that's mental. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, there we go. So, early 1943, Elizabeth Short moved to California to live with Cleo Short, who's her dad. Right. Uh, and then in mid-1943, she moved there permanently, um, and that's when she moved out and and found her own place so she was only with her dad i think for a few months by the looks of things right um and then in september 1943 she was arrested for underage drinking in Mm. santa barbara not a good look and then nothing really for a few years until um may 1946 um 
she lived with a man called Mark Hansen, who we'll come to later. Is he another suspect? He might be a suspect. In December 1946, um, she moved a bit uh, further... This is my geography's wrong, forget that bit. Um, So she moved to San Diego, which is where she met um, Dorothy French and began staying with her. Uh, So she stayed with her for a month because then in January 1947, uh, Robert Manley picked her up from Red. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm now just picturing Red from that 70s show. That was his name, right? I've never seen it. Oh... Red. Have you seen it? Yeah. No. Oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so January the 8th, 1947. Um, so in between, I think, July 1946 and January 47, um, she'd met Red um, and become enamoured with him. Right. Uh, okay, and then January the 9th, so the day after then, they spent the night together. The following day, he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel. This right. is the last time Elizabeth was seen alive. Okay. And it was six days? Did you say yes. six days? Six, six days. Six days, yeah. Um, because on January the 15th, yeah, so six days later, her body was found dismembered in that vacant lot in Los Angeles. Uh, and then... It just just kind of goes on from there, really. Mm. So, have you guys got any like thoughts or questions as, kind of before we get into the suspects? Anything that's um, if I it may was have a film, or... at yeah. this point, you'd be thinking, "Well, it's probably red," but yeah. is that too obvious? By red, you mean manly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was manly. Case <laughs> <Close, close>. closed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no did uh, did anyone see her leave the hotel um only the i think only like the staff like the lobby staff they saw her leave though uh i don't i haven't been able to find let me just have a look um i can't i can't find out whether anyone actually saw her leave there's so many so by the way yeah in this whole case um 150 suspects Holy crap. And now we're going to go through them one by one. <laughs> yeah. In at number one. <laughs> Manly. 150 suspects. <laughs> 150. Yeah. So so we got Manly as one of the suspects. What are the, Who are the other 149? Uh, you'd be grateful to know I'm not actually going to um, go through all of them. That would be mental. Right. Um, I've, uh, I'm gonna, I've got four. You've got some favourites um, here. Yeah, I've got... Um, yeah, I've just got four guys who are like the the key guys, um, or the. Do you the, sorry the guys that you're going to talk about? Yeah. Do you have like a thought in your head as who you think is more likely? I th- I think so. Are you doing them in like reverse order so we can do like I can bring in the top of the pulse music again? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. I love bringing that out. <laughs> I'll have to find that audio somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, so you're sort of like in at number four. Uh, yeah, so, but it, I, I guess really there's... Hang on a sec, do any of these include Manly? Uh, yes. Is it four others? Oh, there's, Manly is one of these So there's four. Manly, uh, and then there's uh, one, two, uh, yeah, three other guys. Okay. 
So Manly, um, okay, yeah. So should we should we start with Manly because we're, we're talking about him? Would that Let's make sense? It. Yeah, we Let's, already know a bit about him. Um, so Bobby, I would like you to read this about Manly. Oh. Yeah, I just got it. Right, let's have a look then. So, um, back on the Manly train. Yep. Robert M. Red Manly was the last person seen with Elizabeth Short before she disappeared. Because of this, he was the LAPD's first suspect in the Black Dahlia case. Oh, so they already considered him. Good, good guys. Uh, (laughs) Manly had picked Elizabeth up from San Diego on January 8th and had dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel in Hollywood on January 9th. That was the last time anyone saw Elizabeth Short before her body was found on January 15th, 1947. Manley was detained on January 20th, 1947. However, Manley was soon set free for his solid alibi for January 14th and 15th and for passing two lie detector tests. On January 24th, the LAPD found a handbag, purse, and a shoe uh, from a trash can a few miles away from the vacant lot where Elizabeth Short's body had been dumped. Manley was able to verify that these objects did belong to Elizabeth Short. Manley had previously been discharged from the Army for Mental Disability. He had suffered from nervous breakdowns and had supposedly been struggling with auditory hallucinations. His wife eventually committed him to Patton State Hospital in 1954. Manley died on January 16th, 1986, due to an accidental fall. So he was a troubled man himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we learned a little bit about Manley there. But So he was discharged from the army. Um, and like, yeah, like you say, he kind of had his own demons. He had his own I don't know if that, to me, makes me feel like he's more prime suspect or less. Yeah, exactly. I I also haven't been able to find the alibis that he that he had. Yeah. Um I've I've looked for them and I can't find there's so much like like I said earlier 150 suspects. What was Manley's background in terms of like affluency, like his standing in society and stuff? Um I don't think he really had a lot. Um I think he if he was an ex-army man, he wouldn't have had time to amass like a great fortune unless he had a big inheritance. Hmm. No. That's interesting no. that the alibi must have been pretty good then. The thing is, before people complain about Weird Tales, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, there's, when it's a case this dense with so much information in it, there's yeah. only so much we can cover in the hour to hour and a half that the show is. So yeah. if we have missed facts and they're out there, tough shit. We're just doing a, a quick scan over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is the, I, which is the show for people that don't understand that that's the show. It's the show. <laughs> that's that's what we're doing. Um, it, Not I that can't. I'm up some negative if, comments that we had. No. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you if you want to sit and traipse through facts and all that kind of stuff, you know, for like a week and research this, then good luck to you. That's fine. Um, go for it. I don't have that much time. And we, we never do when we research these episodes. I've gone through. Um, so I've been looking over this for the last, probably since Sunday, I've been looking over. And I wasn't able to find the, the alibi that he gave. So I don't I don't know what that is. I don't know but who it was. But it definitely was, was that... Manly. Oh, you think it was? We have to. We stuck to it from the start. I'm a man yeah, of my word. We, we can't go back. We don't want to look like flakes. I can't go back on evidence. Um, Don't forget, though, guys... Evidence is just fake news if it's against your decision. 
the the don't forget the police it, it was pretty important the way that her body had been cut it wasn't like hacked it was such mm. a clean cut that they they come to the conclusion that some medical equipment must have been used so that they were looking at doctors. Right. So would this maybe make Manly less of a suspect because does he sound like the sort of guy that would be able to have access to that equipment? I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know him. So, <laughs> Like I'm distancing myself from him now. <laughs> I want to hear some suspect too. I'll be honest, I barely knew him. Yeah. I've only heard about him tonight. So I want to hear about suspect too. I want to hear... This other I want to see what competition we got. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah for sure. Because at the moment he is our prime suspect, but he's also our only suspect. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll just I'll just come back to as I've just spoken about it. Um, just go quickly back over what they said about her body. Um, yeah, due due to the way Elizabeth Short was cleanly cut in two, the LAPD was convinced. Not just that, that she had access to the equipment, but they must have been trained to use it. Because um, otherwise, I suppose I could pick up surgical equipment, but still mm. do like a hack job on it. Um, uh, according to an FBI letter on February the 25th, 1947, so not long after her death, um, the manner in which Elizabeth Short's body was dissected has indicated the possibility that the murderer was a person somewhat experienced in medical work. The Los a Angeles possibility. Police. Possibility. Do you not think that sometimes when they, I feel like whenever in murder cases they come across something that's like cleanly done, they go, "It must have been a medical professional." There has to be someone who just flukily did it like that. I guess so. In the history of murder, there has to be someone who just flukily did an amazing job. Jack the Ripper did that. Yeah, I guess so. I guess yeah, maybe under pressure, it's the adrenaline. I don't know. Might just maybe just had like a big sword and. Just one clean cut. That yeah, was all it katana. took. Maybe there's just more people that are good at it than doctors. Maybe, maybe, yeah, more maybe. doctors just want all the glory, don't they? Exactly. Uh, so I'm going to talk about suspect number two. Okay. Could have been in the army. Yeah, exactly. He was in the army. Yeah. What What did he learn in the army? Was oh, he yeah, true. Maybe Boom. he had medical training from being in the army. Hmm. Don't know. We don't know, do we? We don't know because we never met him. No. Uh, so I want to talk about uh, Leslie Dillon. It suspect, wasn't him. Suspect number two. Wasn't him. Wasn't him. I don't think it was him from the name. Leslie Dillon. Why not? Just, the, just his name. I got a feeling about that name. No. Red Red sounds like the classic guy who like, oh, it's him. And it isn't. He just sounds like the, I'm talking about in a film, that name, Red Manly. He's the guy you're supposed to think it is, but it isn't actually him. He's just yeah. a bit of a dick. It was it was Leslie Dillon. Leslie didn't do it, though. I still don't think Leslie did it. All right. But let's hear about him. Let's, I'll just tell you about Leslie Dillon. I'm, I'm going to do the same as you. I'm just going to read this out, which, um, again, is different to the way I've done episodes before but I, I just think actually this this um uh, and all, all credit for pretty much everything i've uh looked at uh has to go to blackdahlia.web mm-hmm. um so thank Seems you very a good much place to go yeah exactly it's um it's not wikipedia which is another thing that we got um uh told off i try using, to avoid so, uh, reading from wikipedia because that is the, the the crime that podcasts 
often yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, if I'm going to read from something, I try to avoid Wikipedia, but we do do it, so tough shit. Sometimes <laughs> it gives the information in the most succinct fashion, which yeah. is what you're looking for sometimes. Anyway, so Leslie Dillon. But this is sort of like we're reading some of the greatest hits from blackdahlia.web, and if you want to dig deeper, then go over there yourself. Yeah, please do. Actually, really, really do. It, it's uh, it's a really, really good website. It's actually something I really like hearing from listeners when they say they listen to a show, to our show and it gave them like an overview of something that unlocked a, like more of an interest and then they went and researched further, which is what I like to think of the show as. It's like a springboard to dive in further if you want. Yeah, exactly. We haven't got the time to go through everything. But and if not, please that's do. fine. You don't have to. You don't have to dig further. No. <laughs> You're <laughs> not forcing you. Just do what you want to do, basically. <laughs> anyway, let's hear about uh, Leslie. Uh, okay, so Leslie Dillon uh, was a bellhop, an aspiring mm. writer, and had previously been a mortician's assistant. Wasn't him. <laughs> Wasn't him. Dillon never confessed to the murder. Uh, he instead claimed Jeff well, Connors. Surely not. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you laugh, but um, they had something like it's, you, there's something like thirty confessions that the LAPD had because they want to be the guy. Exactly, yeah. because by that time, I think it it was the first one of the first most prolific cases it was like a national case yeah um i think like post-war like one of the biggest of all time so it was all over the the nation so yeah so that's why it says that he never confessed the murder because so many of them actually did um okay sorry in october 1948 uh dylan wrote to lapd psychiatrist dr paul de river about the Black Dahlia case, Dylan, writing from Florida, told De River that he had heard about Elizabeth Short's case from a true detective magazine um, mm. where De River spoke on the case. Um, he wanted to hear De River's theories on the case because he had an interest in sadism and sexual psychopaths and wanted to write a book on those subjects. So he's asking some questions which are a little bit suspect. It's like, why do you want to know so much, really? Are you... Are you interested in theories you got you know what's going on okay so they wrote back and forth de river and dylan and uh de river started to believe that connor's was not a real man he believed that dylan himself had murdered elizabeth short and developed this guy connor's as a figment of his imagination to try and cope with the trauma with with dealing with you know all the Basically, the the aftermath of how gruesome it was that right. he'd developed this this character. Um, in sept- uh, December 1948, Dylan agreed to meet with DeRiver, and DeRiver offered three potential locations: Phoenix, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas. Dylan expressed rev- reservations about Los Angeles, maybe because he didn't want to return to the scene of the crime, and chose to meet DeRiver in Las Vegas instead. De River and undercover LAPD officer Sergeant John O'Mara met Leslie Dillon in Las Vegas. 
Deriva interrogated Dylan and Amara acted as his bodyguard. Uh, Deriva recorded his interviews with Dylan and the following is a segment from one of his recordings. And you can, if you go to the website, listen to the pod. If you want to go to the website, you can actually uh, go to the recordings and um, and find some of the transcripts. So that's pretty cool. Um, so Deriva said, what do you think the killer did with the hair he shaved off the private parts of the body of Elizabeth Short? Dylan says, I think the killer, such as he was, would probably have thrown the hair into the toilet and flushed it. Oh. Deriva, what do you think a killer such as he was would do with a piece of flesh with the tattoo on it after he cut it off her thigh? Dylan, well, I think he would probably would have thrown that down the toilet and flushed it. So everything is just like... <laughs> God, that's his answer for everything. <laughs> what? Uh, what did Deriva- you do with my dessert when I left the room? I think he probably threw it in the toilet and flushed it. <laughs> <laughs> what did he... I think he just flushed it. <laughs> Um, Say, I'll, I'll cut that as too crude. No. <laughs> but um, but yeah, he's a little, little bit of a strange guy, this this Leslie Dillon. Um, yeah, I still don't think it was him. So another no. recording says, you are the one who murdered Elizabeth Short. This is DeRiver. Dylan, Dr. DeRiver, the trouble with this is that you first reach your own conclusions about this case and then you try to dig up things to prove that your conclusions are correct. Deriva says, what do you think I am, a child? What do you mean by talking to me that way? I'm a person who has been around, I'll have you know. <laughs> so the police really seem to to kind of dive into this guy, but frankly, I can't really see why. I don't really understand. And again, maybe I missed something, but from what I've been able to see, there's not really an awful lot that kind of pins this guy to the case, I don't think. No, he's an odd, odd duck, but I don't think he was uh, the killer. Yeah. Um, the reason that the LAPD give is that they he has like a really extensive knowledge of her death and he seemed right. to know an awful lot of, of stuff, like really intricate yeah, but details. if you had done it, you don't think you'd be like mouthing off about how much detail you had you knew about the death. He's no. just a weirdo who was interested in the murder. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's much on this guy. Um Eventually, the LAPD lose interest as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they arrest him and interview him. And I think, like you say, he just seems to enjoy being involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look through the confessions, I was going to look at some of these other people that make confessions, but there's just not the time. Again, if you want to do that, feel free. Um but it seems like that that's what most of the guys that were confessing were doing. They were kind of revising all this information around her death. They were kind of um, just, rem- um, yeah, just like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, they just kind of had memorized. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, sorry, it's been a long day. Um, yeah, they'd memorized all that and kind of, had it ready to give to the police all the stuff about her death and the mm-hmm. fact that she'd had um, chunks of flesh cut out and all they just kind of and I think the police kind of caught on to it and realised oh this is just another just another shyster who's just after a bit of our time a waste of our time but yeah some people seem to think he's a credible guy I I'm not really sure I'm not convinced of that guy no no I'm not uh, thoughts Tis other than. Not interested. Nah, he's just a weird dude, but uh, manly. 
Yeah, Manly's the guy so far, isn't he? I, well, yeah, of the two. I'm sort of going off Manly a little bit, though. Are, are you? I'm hoping that one of the others tickles tickles my willy, because I don't think <laughs> Manly is the one that's for me anymore. I don't know. Well, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> hopefully this one tickles your willy. All right. This is... We spoke about... Well, I mentioned briefly Mark Hansen. So this right, is suspect yeah. number three. Uh, Tiss, this is from the name, who... maybe. Just, just from the name, it just sounds like a murderer. <laughs> so, Tiss, I'm just going to send you Mark Hansen's information for you to read out, if you would mind. Mm-hmm. He owned a nightclub and theatre, right? Yeah, you've just read that. <laughs> just, just that little <laughs> bit popped up on my screen. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Spoilers. yeah. You were hoping they'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I'm so amazed that you remembered that. So have you got that, Tiss? Yeah. Um, Mark Hansen, a nightclub and theatre owner, had known Elizabeth Short while she was in Los Angeles. Hansen allowed Elizabeth to live in his home on several occasions between May and October of 1946. That's the year before, right? Mm, uh, yep. Anne Toff, who was Hanson's girlfriend at the time, shared a room with Elizabeth Short in a house close to Hanson's nightclub called Florentine Gardens. On January 8th, 1947, uh, Elizabeth Short called Mark Hanson in Los Angeles from San Diego. Mark Hanson was one of the last people to speak to Elizabeth Short before her disappearance on January 9th, when LAPD interrogated Hanson on his conversation with Elizabeth he made several contradictory statements. The examiner received a package from Elizabeth's killer on January 24th, 1947. The package included Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, photographs, business cards, and a dress book with Mark Hansen on the cover. Hansen told the LAPD the address book had belonged to him, yet he'd never used it. He said that he had given the address book to Elizabeth as a gift to her to use as her own. Uh, attorney files also indicated that Hansen tried to seduce Elizabeth at one point, yet she refused him. However, no official charge was ever brought against Hansen. And he died of natural causes in 1964. Hansen never had a criminal record and had no history of violence. Some theorists believe Hansen could have had ties to gangsters, but there was never any evidence of that being true. Well, they just thought... There's never any evidence of it. They just like he might have had ties to gangsters. I can say that about anyone. Yeah. Um. I. I. I'm not buying this guy either. I'll be honest. No. No. I think contradictory statements. Okay. So maybe he is genuinely like getting his details mixed up, or maybe scary I, though. Yeah, the pressure, or maybe like him and Elizabeth had a falling out about something. If he's her ex, he was her ex, right? Uh, no, he tried to seduce her, but she didn't. Oh, tried to. So they yeah. might have had like a bit of uncomfortable history that he didn't want to go into or was trying to, like, oh, this is going to incriminate me. And then him acting weird because of that. Yeah. But then he might, they might have, he might have had a reason to want her out of the picture that we don't know about. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a motive. No, that doesn't really, does it? But then none of these really have a motive. No. That, maybe that's what makes it so hard to pin anyone down. There's no motive here. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to be anything, does it? 
these these are the guys that this um, that seem to come up repeatedly. Mm. So I don't know why. I don't know why. So far, like I say, I can't really um, see any particular motive. Really, I can't really see any reason why they would want to do that. This is like the guy in the film who's like the side character who. They the police keep questioning, but he's just like I've been thrown into this because I've got a connection to the woman, but it wasn't me. I tell you, like he's just a, a, a sort of side character with not much depth to him. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So I'm now going to come on to the guy who is widely thought to be the guy. Here we go. Oh. I knew it was coming to this because everyone so far, like I said, you got handsome the weird sort of side character who's just sort of been drawn into this. You've got Red, the guy who you think it is, but he wasn't anything to do with it. He's just a cad. You've got the weird Leslie guy. Um, not him. He's just a weirdo. Yeah. This is the guy. I don't even know anything about it. Can you tell me his name? His name is George Hodel. It's him. <laughs> <laughs> Knew it. Knew it from the off. Um, so here we go. George Hodel. Doctor... George Hodel. Oh. First came under police scrutiny in October 1949 when he was accused of of molesting his 14-year-old daughter, Tamar. Oh, God. What a scumbag. I don't care if it was him or not now. Can we just say it's him? (laughs) (laughs) It's him. Um, Three witnesses testified at trial that they had seen, not just heard, seen Hodel having sex with his daughter. Uh, oh god and it was the molestation case which led them to think that he was the main suspect for the black dahlia right Um, so because i think so far they're like well it's not just that she was murdered she was murdered in a really gross like grotesque grim way true like and quite sadistic and sexual yeah but there's a difference between you know, paedophilia and incest and and what happened with Elizabeth. Yes, that's true. It's like scratching a different itch, unless he just wants all taboo. Yeah, yeah, it does it does scratch a different itch. Yeah. Um so because of this, the LAPD put Hoda under surveillance. He was acquitted and let go. But they're like, right, well, we're not actually happy with that. So, so they, but they weren't like, can, what this guy's a paedophile? Were they not bothered? No, he was acquitted. That's insane. He was acquitted in December, even though three different people saw him having sex with his daughter. I he's he's got ties here. He's got dirt on someone to get away with this. He must stuff. have. Crazy. He must have. Um, so the LAPD installed two microphones in his home, which were monitored by eighteen detectives. So they were sure it was this guy right. um, and they wanted to see if he would make or they any... just wanted it to be this guy I think so they were like let's lock him up he's a dirty perv um, dirty pedo pedo hodel um, yeah and they kind of wanted to see if he would make any comments that would insinuate that he could be involved um, so most of the transcript is um, dull uh, and then there's lots of hodel having sex um, berating his secretary, talking lots about his money problems and finances. 
However, on February the 19th, 1950, there's something horrific in one of the transcripts recordings. It's uh, 8.25pm. There's a woman screamed, then a woman screamed again. And then later the same day, Hoda was recorded talking to his confidant. He says, Realised there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. And then recording cuts out. Um, Whoa. Then it says, they thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they might have figured it out. Killed her. Whoa. Wow. Then he says, the surveillance routinely dis- uh, continued catching a highly incriminating statement. He says, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. <laughs> That's him. That's it. Sign still delivered. I'm yours, baby. It's, uh... <laughs> um, it's this guy. I mean, it, it, it must. It, it, it seems like it, doesn't it? We did say it was manly, though. <laughs> he did say, supposing I did. <laughs> Um, He's like uh, OJ of his day, if I did it. <laughs> if I did it. You couldn't pin it anyway because everyone who says I did it is now dead. Um, the secretary, by the way, that um, he's referring to in the transcript was a lady called Ruth Spaulding and she died of a drug overdose. Right. Um, so then he's investigated, obviously, for her murder. They're like, hang on a minute, that's a little bit, um, you know, and he was present when his secretary died, he'd um, burnt some of her belongings before the police were there. Um, and uh, that's because there were um, later they found evidence. They found some documents that suggested that his secretary, Spaulding, was looking to blackmail him. So she was going to potentially come forward and then she dies of a drug overdose. Seems a little bit, little bit too close, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I don't like this guy. No. no. It was probably him, and even if it wasn't, I want it to be him, so it's him in my head. Well, we're now going to watch a short clip. Okay. So, um, this is... We're now about to hear a interview with George Hodel's son, Steve Hodel. Right, okay. Uh, so, let's see what he's got to say steve hodell believes his father was the culprit he joins us now from los angeles steve thank you for your time this morning you've written five books on this case and you allege that it's your father who did this how did you go about investigating your own father on this case well uh actually it was uh my father died in 1999 and uh certain uh, effects came into my possession and then uh he was a remarkable man, and of course, the first third of my first book goes into the heavy biographics. You kind of have to understand the man to understand uh, the crimes. But basically, a remarkable individual, and I'm talking to my half-sister on the phone a couple of days after his passing, and, and she sa- says to me, well, you know, Steve, our father was a suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. <laughs> I said, what the hell are you talking about, Tamar? Where is this coming from? And she said, well, he didn't do it, but he, he was suspected by the police. They told me that back during the trial. Well, my half-sister and I had ta- talked to maybe 
20 minutes in 50 years. So this was a huge shock. Of course, I had become very close to my father in the last decade of his life. He had relocated back to the U.S. Mm. And uh, there was no way. I said, this, this, is, this isn't possible. So uh, basically, I started uh, looking into it. And, uh, you know, I had been a homicide detective for 24 years with LAPD, and I'd been retired for 15 years and uh, never any hints or clues or anything. So I was confident that I'd be able to establish that he had nothing to do with it. And I started uh, following the evidence and, and actually relocated back to L.A. And, and within a year and a half, I had built a case, much to my surprise, that took me 180 degrees in the opposite direction and actually became a fileable case. I submitted it in secret to the DA and he said, that uh, he would file the case where my father's still alive. So Steve, just tell us about the evidence uh, that you have. What, what did you find? Oh gosh, well it takes, took me five books to do it, but basically the, you know, to cut to the chase, um, first, of, first of all, they knew that uh, she, had, she had been found at a vacant lot posed and surgically bisected. Not cut in half with a saw or, you know, but it was a skilled surgeon. So of course that limits your pool right there. Well, my father had been a surgeon in his early years of doctoring, so he certainly had that ability. But then uh, there were a whole bunch of things Then I would discover that he actually knew her and was dating her. Uh, he had been, become a suspect in 1949 and arrested for incest, for having sexual uh, relations with my half-sister Tamar. Back in 49, uh, three-week trial, he beat the case, but basically there were three witnesses present, adults, and um, so he was a powerful, what, what they called in that day, a high jingo. He was uh, untouchable and the head of LA County Health Department. And I started digging in and uh, eventually um, I built an, a case that would, you know, basically open the door to the secret files, which nobody knew anything about. We got into those DA files and lo and behold, he was the prime suspect all along. You know, I mean, Steve Hodell could talk for you know, 20 hours on why his father did it. But here we've actually got an independent, separate file locked away for 55 yeah. years. And, and Steve, it's, all, it's incredible because your dad basically confessed to the murder of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, and his secretary. Why was he not prosecuted? Well, actually, he, you know, what they did was they tape recorded him 18 detectives 24-7 for 42 days around the clock. And they got him not only to confess to the Black Dahlia murder, and these are not phone taps, these are like microphones hidden in the wall that he had no idea were there. And uh, so he cops to paying police, you know, and you have to understand LA was a very corrupt department back then. It was a real life LA confidential, if you will. And uh, so a lot of the cops were on the take and dad had a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of influence. And he was performing abortions for police department and the politicos of the day and he was about to be arrested by the DA's office who had actually taken over the investigation and were literally uh, days away from arresting him and he splits leaves the country and uh, he's in the wind and uh, you kind of have to understand the politics of LA at the time Chief Parker who's our most famous uh, police chief was about to take over literally weeks away from uh, assuming becoming chief and they thought, well, wait a minute, he's in the wind, he's gone, he's left the country, 
maybe uh, it's best if we just lock this away for now and uh, you know keep it under wraps. We'll come back to it, but let's clean up Dodge, get rid of all the corruption. Uh, if we if we expose this now, we won't be able to assume power and do what we want to do. So there was that was a major factor, and uh, of course, they were happy that he was gone in the sense that, you know, he could reveal a, a hell of a lot about a hell of a lot of people. The sad thing is they never came back to it. They just locked it away. Actually, the LAPD destroyed all the files and the tapes. Wow. But the DA's office, the lieutenant in charge, you know, kept a second set of books, locked him away. And then when my book came out with all the evidence and the DA said he'd file, that that opened up this vault and it revealed all the tape well, recordings. And, and a lot of that is being revealed in this terrific new show, which is featured here on Stan here, the streaming service called I Am The Night. There's also the, the terrific podcast too, Root of Evil. Uh, Steve, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. Also, you can get Steve's latest book, Black Dahlia Avenger 3. Uh, and the Black Dahlia series is out there as well, and it's a fascinating read. So that's um, that was Steve Hodel. Even his own son is like it was him. Yeah, yeah, that's mad. And he set out. He set out to prove it wasn't him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he was a police detective, and and yeah, set out to prove. And actually, um, I managed to find, um, as as it is the case with all these. Um, episodes that we do, just hours and hours, endless hours of stuff on YouTube. But I managed to find one video where he's interviewed, it's like late 80s, early 90s, and he's, it can't be my father, um, and he lists some reasons why not. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just thought maybe that was a bit longer than I would normally choose for a video, but I just thought there was so much good stuff it in there. It was interesting. It must be so weird to dig into your own dad like that and find this stuff about him yeah like you know the the incest stuff and uh and the murder <laughs> yeah exactly two, it's such two murders. a weird thing to to investigate your own father on like some coming across some of those details must have been very uncomfortable to say the least yeah exactly really grim and like i, I guess it was it's really interesting to hear his take on like the the whole political scene at the time and mm. how corrupt and actually we like in my head i always thought oh that's just the movies like when you see like the the noir movies you're like oh that's just how the well, movies he compared tell it, it to LA confidential yeah exactly which is precisely what and actually when you play um when you play la noir you can take bribes you can there's loads of talk like that through the dialogue mm. they're always talking about, you know, oh, come on, just, you know, just, just take his money and ignore him, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so it's really interesting and it's really sad actually that really if he was the guy, that if he just paid the right kind of people, the right money, that they could just forget about it. Get away with murder. And, and sounds like um, burned all the tapes. I think he was saying burned the tapes, burned some of the files yeah. and the evidence. Um, so it seems uh, to me, it seems like the, he's the guy. Yeah, he's my guy. Tiss, what are you thinking? Yeah, he's my guy for sure. So we got like a three way opinion that we're all like, it's this guy. I think so. Yeah. I, I, there you go. I told you we'd crack the done, case tonight. Cracked it. We sorted it. I think, like, I, I wanted to start with Manly because I thought he is, you know, he really is prime suspect. You know, classic last... bit of misdirect because, like I said, if it was a film, he's the guy you'd think it was. Yeah, he's For in sure. the film. They would start off with Manly. Yeah, 
And then you come to realise, like, no, he's a dick. He's like a a player, but he's not that vindictive. He's not capable of anything yeah. more than just being a a bloke. And then you keep you keep watching the movie, and maybe twenty minutes later, you're like, "What happened to the guy they interviewed at the start?" Yeah, you quiet. After, meanwhile, you've had a few like false leads with like uh, Hanson, Leslie and, Dillon, yeah, and and Leslie Hanson, yeah. and. And then they cut to a scene of him in a mental institution and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah maybe it wasn't him. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, he's just... So, yeah, but I would I would encourage you to... Um, Watch the, the film website. that we just made up in our, in our mind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. There is, there is also a film, I think it's just called Black Dahlia. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there is a film. I've never seen it myself. Um, I think it's got Josh Hartnett in it. Oh, really? Scarlett Johansson, I think. I don't know. Really? Let's just check. If I just... Black Dahlia. Let me just check. The Black Dahlia, 2006. Oh, right. It's more modern than I expected. Yeah. Um, Josh Hartnett and Aaron Eckhart are in it. Yeah. Scarlett yeah. Johansson, Hilary Swank. There you go. Um, all cast. They're all in there. What's Watch the rating it? like? 5.6. Oh. So, not great. But... Um, you know, give it a go and, you know, you might actually enjoy it. Hey, listeners, watch it and let me know if it's worth me watching. Yeah, Thanks. I'd exactly. appreciate that. Is it worth my time? Um, but there's so much about Hodel and um, I-, I would really encourage you to get stuck into some of the documentaries on YouTube. Um, I watched one um, and to be honest, it could be a whole episode in itself. He's a really interesting guy. Um, but I think it's it's almost like fortunate for him that he did it in that time period where they just didn't have the technology we've got now. Because mm. I just wonder, you probably won't get away with that now. Um, I imagine this is a topic where there are, I imagine there's like shit tons of documentaries and information on. Because it's people love these unsolved murder cases. Yeah, it's, it's like, everywhere. It's like Jack the Ripper and Zodiac and stuff like that. It's just exactly. so, so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um but I just thought I wanted to look at it in a slightly different way and just look at the story of it and look mm. at who she was. And Yeah, I love the, I love the era, the setting as well. That old, yeah. old Hollywood setting is really interesting. Yeah. It makes me want to um, play L.A. Noir again. And go it makes me want to go cases. and watch some noir films. Like due for a rewatch of The Third Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I just thought I wanted to present it almost like a movie and look at the the suspects. But um, I really would recommend um, listeners check out the Black Dahlia. So it's blackdahlia.web.unc.edu. Jesus, remember um, that. I'll put that in the show notes just so yeah. people can actually find that easier. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's not that easy to remember. But if you get onto it, it's got all the information you could want. It's got all the information about all the suspects, not all of them, not 100, and that would be mental, but the main guys. I think there's 22 suspects, which which were like the main suspects that mm. the police looked into. Um, there's also some really cool stuff. So apart from the timeline, there's um, a character map, um, and it helps you to just just keep a track on the different people that the police interviewed, her family members. Um, I was quite surprised, actually, that her dad wasn't, Maybe a suspect. Yeah, because yeah, they had a bit of a rocky relationship. They did, but and and a tons of other stuff on there, which is really interesting. And the way it's written is written almost like a story. It's it's 
to kind of draw you into the to the whole case. So definitely check it out. And like Bob said, go watch the film, see what you think. Maybe it's not five point six. It might be worse than that. So I've watched I watch a hell of a lot of films, and you know what? I don't be put off by a bad rating on IMDb because I watch some films that are panned on IMDb, and I'm like, that's pretty good. I don't know what's gone on. So give it a go. It might be all right. I want to know. But uh, yeah, so there we go. That's the Black Dahlia. But it's not unsolved because I'm pretty sure it's just case closed. We sorted it out tonight. Dr. George That's Hogan. closed. That's cl- case closed. He done it. Um, so is there anything else you guys want to say on that before we wrap up? Uh, no. What I would like is the film that we've been making up to exist. Yes. Yes. That would be well good. It's nothing amazing, this film I've been making up, but it's a good, by the numbers, crime investigation film, which sometimes that's all you want. Yeah. It's like a exactly. 7 out of 10, 6, 6.8 out of 10 crime investigation you know you know where it's going you've seen these stories before but it's a fun watch yeah you just want to see how they do it (laughs) yeah i love a film like that a a film on imdb that's sort of in the late sixes they're normally like my sort of jam yeah (laughs) (laughs) my sort of jam oh late sixes (laughs) yeah there we go then yeah that's that's about it cool it was interesting it. to learn a little bit more about it. Amazing. Nice one. Yeah, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, it I, I, yeah, like I say, I kind of... And actually... Oh, yeah, that's one more thing I need to mention. Um, there are other cases that um, kind of branch off of this one. Um, so there were other murders very, very similar to mm. this at the time. Copycats. Um, yeah, it could be copycats. Or maybe... maybe The same Hodel guy. Hodel did even more. <gasps> um so didn't have time to look into any of that, obviously. Uh maybe that could be an episode yeah, later. But the Black Dahlia Legacy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like the really Black shit sequel. Two. Yeah, like three point <laughs> two. Black Dahlia Legacy sounds like a really bad sequel film. <laughs> yeah. 3D. Don't make three yeah. D. <laughs> That's like a four point two or something. Yeah. Yeah. Don't watch it. But um but yeah, I just don't have time to go into it, but it's really interesting to look into nonetheless and just, um, yeah, maybe check it out in your spare time. Yeah, cool. That's about it. Cool. Nice. Good Lovely. killer case to kick off the year. Yeah. So what 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 else do we need to do? The uh, email. Anything you guys need to say before I do the outro stuff? Don't think so. No, I'm so, good. So, listener of the week. Yeah. Well, first of all, last episodes listener of the week yes we have a name redacted revealed themselves yeah so um just so that they get their name on here leslie sandoval is it sander sandoval we're going to get these names pronunciations wrong anyway however i pronounced it it was wrong but you were the listener of the week last time yeah now you get a little bit of a twofer because the listener of the week this week is her friend yeah who basically outed her (laughs) Um, i made a fantastic uh certificate for her yeah (laughs) unofficial weird tales and the unexplainable listener of the week certificate which she handed to her friend uh yes but we posted a picture of this on the facebook page um a lot of people enjoyed that 
Yeah. Um, so I'm just I'm vamping while I get the name of her friend up. So I don't have to call her Leslie's friend. So Lady Contreras, uh, you are listener of the week this week. Hopefully uh, that maybe you'll get a certificate. Yeah. Or, or make yourself one. I don't know. Pressure. Pressure's on. But now you've got one each. You went to such effort to uh, make sure your friend got the recognition she deserved. Listener of the week. Here's yours. Listener of the week. Nice. And dog of the week. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Um, i got a picture here. I'm just going to show you guys quickly. Oh, okay. Tissy's face is glowing already. <laughs> yeah, so this is... Um, well, this is listener Charlotte Armstrong. She sent this a while back, but it's a great dog. Uh, she actually got two dogs, but there can only be one dog that's a listener, that's a dog of the week. Um, so she's got... Um, a chocolate That's lab harsh. called Seamus. Seamus, you're not dog of the week. We had a chocolate lab last time. Uh, but mm. her other dog is dog <laughs> of the week. Uh, this is a pug and chihuahua mix called Safi. It's this dog right here. Oh. Look at that reaction. That is so beautiful. Oh. <laughs> dog of the week. So Safi, oh. dog of the week. Uh, thanks, Charlotte, Lovely. for sending that in. Thank you. Oh, very uh, cute. And if you've got a dog of the week to send in or any of your stories, oh, the the ghost stories episode last time went over so well and we've been getting loads more stories sent in. <laughs> it always happens. When I'm getting one ready, I dig through old stories. And then when a, a ghost stories episode goes up, we get a hundred more. Um, but so thanks to everyone that's been sending them in. If you've got more to send in or you've got a dog of the week, it's unexplainable, UK at mail.com or... Go onto the website and use the contact page on there. It's weirdtalesandtheunexplainable.com. Also on that website, there are links to places you can donate to the show and help us out. Uh, you can buy merchandise on there by following the T Public link. You can find links to our Facebook pages, our Twitters. Uh, we're all on Twitter. We were like interacting with people on there. And any other links to things. Uh, like I said before, there's no more blog posts. I'm not doing blog posts anymore at the time. Uh, the relevant links will be in the show notes or credited on the show. And I think that's outro stuff. If you want to support me for my time editing this and my other shows, Five Minute Folklore and Known For, the filmography podcast, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash bobshoy. That's B-O-B-S-H-O-Y. There's no extra content on there anymore. The old extra content is actually making its way over to Bandcamp, but I'll probably announce that on the next episode because I'm in the process of doing it. But there's loads of extra stuff going to be on there soon. Whew. Awesome. Made okay. it. I sped for Oosh. it. Well done. Uh, so there'll be another episode in two weeks' time. Yeah. Is it your turn? Uh, so I better get researching. It's my turn. I don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, I made some notes for ones I wanted to do last year. I need to look at them and see which one tickles my fancy. Um, which one tickles you, Willie? Which one tickles my Willie? And then after that, uh, two weeks after that, Tiss will be doing an episode and then it'll be uh, the end of this series. We're doing a series of four episodes at a time now for a month off. Oh, actually, no, there's going to be an episode of me and Rick after that and then there'll be a month off. So you got three more. Nice. You lucky, lucky people. Yes, uh, me and Rick have decided on a topic we're going to revisit for Weird Tales Revisited in three episodes' time. So look forward to that as well. Nice. Boom. Wow, all this content we're throwing out. I know. We generous. I know. <laughs> you say we. <laughs> well, yeah, we are generous, right? <laughs> well, 
Bob's throwing the content out. I can't. We're seventy-five percent credit. I'm contentless. Actually, I could provide some outro music. Yeah, do that then, because I did. I forgot to look up some again. So, uh, if you if you have got out music, if you're if you make music and uh, want to feature it as outro music for Weird Tales, I've got some in the backlog that I need to use. Uh, but if you want to send us more, I will promise to start using them again from next episode. I promise next episode I'll have some in. For now, there's another one of Tissy's songs because we like playing Tissy's music and everyone seems to like hearing Tissy's music as well. So, <laughs> so again, uh, Tiss, send me a track and I'll put it on. Sweet. <laughs> Excellent. Right, so I think we're done. <laughs> we are done. Right. Finished. So, uh, until next time. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I was thought I was gonna trick you into a pun. <laughs> no, I don't have anything. <laughs> Until next time, darling. Da- da- no. Da- I was actually it gonna go and try work. going on that route as well. Darling, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No. Just doesn't work. Until doesn't next time, mean. love you lots. Clumsy. Bye bye bye. Uh, See don't ya. don't kill anyone. And uh, yeah, case closed. Bye. Don't, don't let your son admit it to everyone later either. You do. Yeah. Do it.
We opened some nerds, but the side opened up, so now they're all over myself. Now that I'm gonna get that little audio clip and put it at the end of the episode after the outro music. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.